I want to give us the right focus for Advent this year. I was talking to Diane, my wife, about this the other day about, you know, what can we do to take Advent to the next level? And we thought, you know, let's do a Bible study together each week uh, around the Advent story. And I thought that's a great idea. We are still arguing about who's going to go first. Uh, let's use Advent this season to deepen our relationship with Christ. And to do that, part of what we have to do is rescue it from sentimentality. Because we think about Advent and we're accustomed to hearing, you know, Charlie Brown's voice or, or Lucy or whoever it is that read that. And we need to remember this is a, this is a real, this is a, this is a story that is rooted in actual history. That's one of the remarkable features about our faith. Our faith is not essentially a way of life. It's not a philosophy of life. It's not following a certain set of teaching. Our faith rises and falls based on a set of historical incidences, things that actually happened or they did not. And we believe that they did. And that's the foundation of our faith. So to help us focus on Advent this season, let's begin with the heart of the matter. Let's begin, with, let's begin at the beginning. Let's, let's begin with the, with the real meaning of Christmas. Remember, through the prophets, as, as Tyler told us, through the prophets, God told us what would happen, and then it happened. For example, the prophet Isaiah laid it out for us. Dean is going to talk about that next week. And then what Isaiah predicted happened just as he said it would. And in the passage that Tyler read for us this morning, it's clear that Matthew got it. Matthew understood, and that's important, because so many people missed it. King Herod missed it. The, the, the people around Bethlehem missed it. Uh, the people who would later come to hear Jesus speak and watch the spectacle of his ministry, they missed it. The Pharisees and religious professors, they would miss it. But Matthew got it. And here's what Matthew said in Matthew chapter 1. Tyler read it for us. All this took place, Matthew said, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Circle that in your minds. That's the heart of the matter. Advent means God with us. God with us. You know, occasionally you'll hear someone say something like, why doesn't the Bible come right out and say it if that's what it means? Why doesn't the Bible make it clear that Jesus is God if that's what they believed? And, and I kind of understand the question. There was definitely a reticence about Jesus. There was a resistance to laying it out for everyone, to be sure. But the Bible is absolutely not short on its claims that Jesus is God the Son. Right here. At the beginning of Matthew's account, he makes this claim very clearly, and he ties it to Old Testament prophecy as well. God with us, he said, just like Isaiah said it would be. John does the same thing. John, one of Jesus' followers who wrote one of the biographies, he does it in his own unique way. John is, is much more poetic about it, but he makes the same claim. In the very first paragraph of his account, <coughs> John chapter 1 reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. That was the light. That life was the light of mankind. Skip down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Hint, Jesus. We, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, the Word was God. In other words, He was in the beginning. He was 
preexistent. He was creator. He was life giver. And he was the light of mankind. And he became flesh and lived among us. That is Jesus. That is Advent. That is God with us. Paul put it differently but said the same thing in Colossians chapter 1. The apostle Paul said, the son is the image of the invisible God. For in him, all things were created. The author of Hebrews said it like this. In the past, God has spoken to our ancestors through the prophets at, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son, and he's trying to find a way to dial this in. The son is, is, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of this being sustaining all things by his powerful word. They make it pretty clear. Plus, they infer it constantly. It's underneath nearly everything they say, just casually. In 1 John, the same apostle John is writing a letter to a group of friends. He said this, chapter 1, verse 3, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you might have fellowship with us. They want us to have this thing that, that uh, Elise and Grace had, so you might have fellowship with us. Look, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, John, why make, why make that equivalence? Why make them sound like they're on? equal footing wouldn't that be confusing why, why do you seem to be putting the son on the same level as the father well because in John's mind he'd come to realize he was or in Acts 2 when Peter is making his epic speech before the Jerusalem audience he quotes from the Old Testament prophet Joel it's a very familiar passage to the Jewish audience at the end of the quote Joel had said this and and uh, Peter is now quoting the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't miss that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel had said that. The name of the Lord. Joel was clearly talking about God. Believing if you call on the name of God, you will be saved. But Peter applies that quotation to Jesus. Why do that, Peter? Why be so casual in your application of that very familiar passage to Jesus? Well, he's, the answer is he's not being casual. He's being very intentional. And Jesus definitely trafficked in the same idea. Remember that time when Jesus forgives sins? Your sins are forgiven. Well, the people in the crowd understood what that was about. They, they, they accused him of blasphemy. Why did they accuse him of blasphemy? Think about this. Jabin handed me the true faults thing just a minute ago. Jeff is sitting on the front row. Imagine after the service, they just can't get along with one another. Their kids are home for the holidays, and they, they're particularly offended by one another. They end up in fisticuffs over here. And uh, it's mostly Jabin's fault, as it would be. And uh, Jabin, J I mean, Jabin just clocks Jeff. He's, he's out on the floor. After a while, Jeff comes to. Heather helps him. Jeff stands up. I walk over, and I say, Jabin, I forgive you. All of you in here, you've, you've, you're in two camps. Some of you ran for the hills when you saw the conflict. Others of you stepped in and you're trying to help out. Those of you that are around, and especially Jeff and, and Jeff's family, they're saying, who, how, can you, how can you forgive Javen? You can't forgive Javen unless you were hit. You, you can't forgive something unless it was done to you. When Jesus, for, look, sin is something that happens against God. When Jesus forgives sins, he's assuming that all sins are happening against him. 
That's the heart of the matter. That's the meaning of Christmas. God the Son came. God squeezed himself into human form, breathing our dust, eating our food, walking our paths. And those first followers, they ended up worshiping him. We get a hint of it even in the birth story. But it becomes much more dramatic late in his life as we witness those closest to him, worshiping him, worshiping him. Now listen, if you were looking for candidates, if, if I were looking for candidates to worship me, I would not pick my family or my close friends. They know too much about me. But the people who spent the, mo- the most time with me would be the ones least likely to worship me, trust me. But the ones who spent the most time with Jesus were the ones most devoted to him, the ones most in worship with him. And this is not something we would expect of first century Jews Don't miss that. This is not something we would expect of first century Jews. Uh, First century Jews didn't make good candidates for this kind of thinking, for this kind of thing. And those, those who study this stuff, religious experts, religion professors, if they're critics of Christianity, they know this is a problem for them. It ultimately doesn't end up convincing them, but they know that this is a problem. There are certainly reasons not to believe the New Testament story, but this, this is a serious problem for the skeptic if they know anything about first century history and philosophy. Look, Eastern religions in the main, uh, you know, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, they're, they're in the main, they're pantheistic. That means that they believe God is a force in everything, that, that God is a part of everything and everything is a part of God. It's, it's all one So they've always believed that people can be avatars for God. Uh, The Greeks and Romans in the ancient world, they they were polytheists who believed in many gods, and they believed it was entirely possible for one of the gods to dress up like a human being and come down to the planet. In fact, there's an incident recorded in Acts chapter 14 in the New Testament where Paul and Barnabas are uh, in front of a crowd. There's a person who was lame from birth, Paul speaks to him, and the guy gets up and starts walking, and then the people in the crowd began shouting at Paul and and Barnabas, calling Paul Hermes and calling Barnabas Zeus, because they believed that the gods were down walking among them. It was part of their belief system that the gods could come down and walk among people. But first century Jews, they had no concept that would even allow for this. Nothing in their thinking could translate into this. In fact, this was violently against what they believed. They were the last people who could believe that someone, some human, some some person, walking, talking, breathing person could represent the presence of God, could be God. That's an awkward sentence to even say if you have first century Judaism in mind. It's like trying to find an American who hates Abraham Lincoln and freedom. This past week in our staff meeting, Kristen Cole was asking us to play this game, and she said she wanted us to try to name famous people who still had a good reputation with everyone. That's harder than you think. Think about that. There's no stain on their reputation. They have a good reputation with everyone. We came up with names like Mother Teresa, Betty White, Tom Hanks, Princess Di, Mr. Rogers, So imagine finding someone who hates all of those people. It would be easier to find that person than it would 
be to find a, a first century Jew who was open to the idea of a human being God. They're so socially, culturally, spiritually, they're training. Their understanding of nature, their understanding of themselves, it, it doesn't fit. And yet, Peter said, I think you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Thomas, when he saw Jesus' wounds, he bowed down and said, my Lord and my God. And ultimately, all of the first followers would die in support of the claim that Jesus was God with us. This is not something that makes sense for a first century Jew. So you can deny that God is with us, but you cannot deny that the Bible makes that claim. And the existence of that claim by this document, that's a problem for all unbelievers. But it's, for most of us, this is not a problem. We simply join with those first followers in worshiping him, God with us. I wonder, uh, I don't know where many of you are spiritually. I wonder if you have, if you have made that decision fully and all in. Are you, are you willing to die for this truth? Again, this is not religion as we understand that word. Religion says, I follow the way of life of this teacher, or I subscribe to these practices. They, they make me feel in tune with myself and with the universe. Or, or religion says, I'm trying to reach a, a, I'm working to reach a higher level of consciousness and awareness and uh, self-actualization, but Christianity recognizes that none of that is good enough. Our problem is bigger than that. We can't reach up to God. The divide is too great, the distance too far. We need God to come to us, and that's what he did. That's the heart of the matter. That's Advent. That's God with us. Okay, boys and girls, true or false, true or false, get your true or false out, true or false. True or false, God is with us. Yes. Okay, for those of you who are still awake, yes, 100%, God is with us. Look, let's, let's look at this from a different lens. This Advent, if we're going to go deeper, I think we've got to also remember that God is with us. God is with us. That's also what this season means. He came to be with us. There is an essential that fundamental withness to our faith, to Christianity. It's, it's a lifestyle of withness. That's why Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by how you love one another. I want you to look at this. John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to give you a new command, love one another. That wasn't new, but what the, the condition he lays down probably is, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this... Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So here is Rabbi Jesus telling his followers that they'll be known as his followers not by how much Bible they know, not by how closely they follow the law. They'll be known as his followers by their love for one another, right? Ours is a lifestyle of withness. Uh, I'm going to give you an anti-illustration. I heard a, a speaker many years ago um, tell the story about a time when he was, I think he was young. I think he was like 12 or 13. And his father was trying to build uh, independence in him. 
So his father arranged, he lived in Chicago, his father arranged for him to take a trip to the Rocky Mountains and go skiing for two or three days, stay in a hotel, ski lift, do the whole thing by himself, the whole trip. So from the airport, he flies to uh, uh, Colorado, um, finds the right transportation, gets to this ski resort, checks into a hotel. He's a 12 or 13-year-old boy. What he didn't know for years was that his father hired someone <laughs> to fly on the airplane, sit two seats behind him, follow him through the airport, follow him in a car, follow him and watch him check into the airport, stay in the room two doors down, and follow him the whole weekend as he goes to and from uh, the ski resort and then uh, back to Chicago. It sounds like a sweet story, but that's not at all what God did for us. God came to be with us, to manifest himself among us, with us. There's a withness to our faith. We're, we're, God doesn't stand at a distance from us, and he encourages us not to stand at a distance from one another or from him. Now, you would figure this to be the case. Since God himself is a relationship, don't miss that. God is a community. God has for eternity been a with. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons yet essential unity. It's, it's the ultimate community. So, of course, his offspring would be beings who are relational. Of course, we would be entities that need withness, and we do. You heard Elise and Grace talk about it. Therefore, God showing us who he really is and honoring his design of us, he came to be with us. He didn't remain at a distance. Look, Christians aren't alone in recognizing our need for community. Communists recognize our need for community. In fact, their entire philosophy, their political philosophy, their way of life is built on community, at least in theory. Today, there's much talk about the LGBTQ community, or the gun community, or et cetera, et cetera. In many cases, people have found a sense of withness around some cause. And we are wired for that withness, so we shouldn't be surprised. We were made in the image of God, who is himself an eternal community. We were made for community. We're not alone in feeling this. We're not alone in working toward it. But we may be alone in recognizing that God is at the center of real community. God is at the center of real community. It's not just that our relationships are built around a common belief in God. No, God is in our relationships in some mysterious, weird way. Think of two sticks painted the same color, organized in the same bin. That's the way we sometimes think of Christian community. We just have so much in common. But it's much more than that. It's as if the two sticks are stuck together, and the glue is, is God himself. If you've read much of the Bible, you may have noticed that the language of the New Testament moves from, from uh, about those who are those first followers. It moves from the language of being followers to, to, to being those who are believers and who worship him, and eventually it moves to those around him have, have Christ in them. And they are in Christ. That's literally the language we find throughout Paul's letters. If you're a follower of Christ, then Christ is in you in the most profound way, and you are in him. God is with us. 
And if you are in him and I am in him, then guess what? There we are, the two of us together, stuck together. Both of us are with one another in him. God is with us. All right, so what does all this mean? Uh, Let me give you four things real quick. You may have some ideas of your own. But first of all, for me, I've got to take, if if God is with us, I've got to take God out of the box. He has come. He's here. He is with me. And I've got to remember that. I've got to let him loose in my life. You know, some of us have challenges. Uh, Something's going on in our lives or or a habit or or something in in a relationship. And and we're afraid to keep hoping that anything can be different. So we've we've settled into a, I, I guess that's how it is. But God is with us. Everything is possible. Some of us dwell on worry. We, we rehearse our anxieties. We hold everything as if we're in control, as if we need to be in control. But God is with us. We've got to let go, let him, let him loosen our lives. Look, if he's God, then our challenges and our worries, they're no match for him. Uh, Advent can be a time, actually, this whole season, right? This can be a time when we ratchet up the stress and the worry and the challenge. Let's let this Advent be a time when we let God loose in our lives. God is with us. All right, secondly, we've got, we've got, to, we've got to get with God. <laughs> God. Think about what God did to be with us. So what, what am I doing to be with God? You know, I, 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 I say uh, I don't have time or... Uh, it's too much to be with God. What am I doing to be with God? Because if, if God is with us, then I've got to be with God. What's preventing you from being with him? This, this Advent season, let's, let's be with God. Third, we've got to get with, with those who are with God. That's part of the call on our lives, that essential withness. He built us with that witness, and then he demonstrated it. He came to be with us. we got to get with others who are with him. We've got to live that out, first of all with God and then with others. Why do you think the Apostle Paul said to his friends in the ancient city of Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 3, Paul said this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort, first of all, because it takes effort. Secondly, make every effort to keep. You don't have to build the unity of the Spirit. He's done it. Uh, It's essential to our faith, this witness. We have to keep it. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why did Paul say that? And then he went on. He he got lost. This was one of those places where Paul just, he couldn't contain himself. For there's one Lord and one Spirit, one God, Father of all, one Lord, one baptism. He's over all, through all, and in all. Make every effort to keep that together because God is with us. Finally, if God is with us, we've got to choose joy. <laughs> Do you know what enabled the Apostle Paul to say, uh, once in a while we'll do weddings and many weddings they want this red love, love, a whole bunch of things about love and then it says love never fails 
What enabled Paul to say that? Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes. Love always endures. It always perseveres. Paul could say that because he knew the love which came from God. Because God is with us. And, And we can hope and we can persevere through anything, through everything, because God is with us. We can, in all circumstances, choose joy. Do you remember what the angels said when they showed up to tell the shepherds, hey, you need to go over to Bethlehem and see this Jesus child. The shepherds, when they announced it, they started like this. Don't be afraid. We're bringing you good news of great joy. Joy is here because God is with us. And that's going to be our theme for the rest of this Advent season. Joy is here. So uh, let's do it up this year. Let's, let's use the Advent, think about it. Let's spend some time today thinking about, if you have children, how are you going to use this Advent season with your children? If you're married, how are you going to use this Advent season, husbands and wives? If you're single, how are you going to connect with your family, connect with others? How are we going to use this Advent season to capitalize on God with us? I'm going to invite Jordan to come and let's close in prayer. Uh, Jesus, we, this morning we join with that company who worships you. We choose today to uh, bend our knee and, and bow our head and our heart, and we worship you. We choose it. We've got a lot of stuff going on in our hearts and in our heads, but to, today, Lord, right now, we choose to worship you, acknowledging God is with us. And we, Lord, we embrace all that that means over our lives and for our lives. We hear this morning the invitation to get with you. And I pray, Lord, that, that you will inspire us, quicken our hearts to, to get with you and to get with others who are with you, that we'll take steps in. Lord, I also pray that we will let go a little bit and release you, let you loose in our lives. Good grief, God is with us, and and we rejoice in that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.